More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to episode 103 of Survivor Sanctuary in the very first episode of 2023. And if you're listening around the time that this is published, happy new year to you, a brand new year. And I view it as a brand new opportunity to double down on protecting the innocent and to double down on speaking out against sexual abuse and honestly abuse of any kind within the church, but especially sexual abuse of children because it is so horrific what it does and how it changes the life of a child. I think a lot about the trajectory of my life and how things may have been different if I could have erased some of the abuse that I experienced in my life. Now, would my life be perfect? No, I come from a dysfunctional family. So if I only erase the sexual abuse, yeah, I'm sure there would still be difficulties and struggles. But I will say that I think many things about my life would be extremely different today. Now, is it something that I sit and cry about and have negative feelings about all the time? No, but I do wonder, like, how would things look different if I had never experienced abuse? And I think that that's really the most important reason to speak out about sexual abuse, because if it were something that we just experienced and then, okay, this is a thing that happened to me and then it didn't have these lifelong effects, you know, maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal to speak out about it. But I think that the reason so many of us want to speak out, advocates and survivors and, and people who find their voice and suddenly they're like, ah, I want to talk about this. It's because I think that so many of us realize how deep the roots of abuse go and how they affect our lives long term. And not even just in my own life, because I can see in my own life what abuse has done and the lasting effects and the negative effects. But when I look at some other survivors and I just see that hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people whose lives have been affected by sexual abuse, I mean, there are millions of people. I haven't you know, had an opportunity, obviously, to be impacted by the story of all 45 million adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse in this country. But the thousands that I have uh, been impacted by show me the importance of preventing childhood sexual abuse and the importance of responding properly to childhood sexual abuse because the better we respond and the sooner we respond, the sooner we are able to give resources to survivors and to help them through what they're going through and support them. The more support a survivor receives as close to the abuse as possible, the more likely that they are going to heal and be able to move on and it kind of mitigates the effects of the sexual abuse in their lives. So that's super important. And that's one of the big reasons that Kelly's never going to be quiet <laughs> about sexual abuse. I'm always going to share my opinion and share it loudly and clearly with anybody who will listen and with some people who don't want to listen. And that's the way it goes. And I bring that up because, well, 
just want to reiterate that in 2023, I plan to speak out about sexual abuse and to keep being a voice and to keep being loud. And I want to encourage you as well, not that you're under any obligation to speak loudly or to have a platform to talk about sexual abuse, but I want to encourage you that if you want to speak out and you want your voice to be heard and you want to make an impact, go for it. And don't let the negative Nancy's in the background kind of stop you is what I want to say. And and there's a reason, there's a, a, an experience that I had this past week, in fact, just a few days ago over the holiday that I want to share that has kind of, it has me like doubling down on my efforts to speak out against abuse. But before we get into the purpose of today's podcast and the actual topic on today's podcast, I want to remind you because it is a brand new year, maybe you're resolving to work more on your healing in 2023. Maybe you're resolving to support more people who are speaking out against sexual abuse and and you want to be a part of that. And if you do, well, you can become a patron of the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. You can visit patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary And there, you're going to find tiers of support. They start as low as $5 a month, and every tier of support is going to get you some really cool extras from Survivor Sanctuary. You're going to get advanced access to every single podcast. You're going to get it before anybody else does, and you might be a patron listening right now, and you're listening early before anybody else ever gets this podcast before it's even published because you are a patron of the podcast. So uh, patrons get things like early early access to the podcast, a patrons only podcast, a Zoom Survivor Sanctuary support group once a month. It's kind of like a support group and a Q&A, a Zoom with me once a month, depending on the tier that you choose. And also there are great resources when you become a warrior level supporter of the podcast at $25 a month that unlocks some Healing with Kel coaching content and different things that have been just super helpful for me on my healing journey that will be great resources, I think, for you as well. So check out the different tiers, the different levels that you can support your favorite podcast. Visit patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a patron today. You'll be supporting the podcast and you're going to be getting some pretty sweet stuff out of the deal as well. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, one of the reasons that I am resolving in 2023 to speak out about sexual abuse, or I should say keep speaking out about sexual abuse, one of the reasons I'm doubling down on that is because of something that happened over the Christmas break. And it it might not seem like a big deal to you, it was a little bit of a big deal to me, but I'll get into that in a second. It all started with an article that was posted on Facebook, right? I, I always tell you, ripped from my Facebook feed, it should be a regular segment here on the show, but so much of what we consume every day happens on social media. So it's kind of just inevitable that a lot of what we're thinking about and talking about is stuff that we found online. If you're not a person who has social media, God bless you. You're probably so much more relaxed and happy in your life, not dealing with that coming at you like 24-7. But Caitlin Beatty is an author, and I actually don't follow her on Facebook, but someone posted a quote from an article that she did with religion and politics. It's called The Pitfalls of Christian Celebrity, an interview with Caitlin Beatty. Now, you may know Caitlin Beatty as the person who wrote Celebrities for Jesus. It is a book about the issues in the evangelical church with those big celebrity personalities, and religion and politics did an interview with her, and she 
quoted part of the article, it says, Carl Lentz, former lead pastor of Hillsong NYC, was put into a position of authority because he is an incredibly charismatic person. He is a great speaker. He's very attractive. He's friendly. He's friends with Hollywood celebrities. People came to the church because of him, because of him being on stage. We might think of that as an extreme case, but I think if you get down to the heart of it, a lot of those dynamics of charisma are central to a lot of your standard American evangelical churches. Now, that's just a portion of this article from Religion and Politics, which I will link to. Um, But I shared Caitlin Beatty's post and her quote from the article because it really struck a chord with me. And it actually struck a chord that has nothing to do with sexual abuse necessarily. Or let me say this. It has a lot to do with sexual abuse, but the particular incident in my own life that it kind of brought up for me and made me think about was not about sexual abuse. So while I do believe that a lot of the reason that sexual abusers and predators are not caught in churches or they're just so beloved and people have so much trouble believing they could ever hurt anybody is because of this same kind of charisma. They, a lot of times they're attractive, they're friendly people, they get along great with people and people are drawn to them. It's not in every case of a sexual abuser or a predator, but in many cases it is. And you'll see these people who have these great personas. I mean, I mean, look at people like Ravi Zacharias. Like he was never accused of childhood sexual abuse, but he he was sexually abusing women. And he was this incredible uh, apologetics mastermind and was this huge Christian figure that people practically worshipped. And it was so hard for everybody to believe, everybody surrounding him and everyone who was fans of him, to believe that he could be doing this. And of course, more and more and more came out until a lot of the people closest to him now are like, oops, we made a big mistake. We didn't believe these victims. And now we know that this man was an abuser. And so all that to say that this didn't bring up necessarily anything about sexual abuse for me, but it triggered something in me about spiritual abuse and that kind of Christian celebrity that we allow in churches. And one of the biggest things that bothers me and something I've talked about on the podcast in the past is we view a person's ability to speak with flair or a person's charisma or a person's friendliness. We view all of those things as qualifications for being in ministry when there is nothing in scripture that says anything about a person's dynamic speaking qualifying them for ministry. It's not in the Bible. You you cannot find it. A person being friendly, a person being magnetic and having that personality that everybody's just super attracted to, and a person being a dynamic speaker, somebody who can just bring the word on a Sunday morning and make you feel, you know, all fired up and warm and fuzzy inside. And, you know, we get that tickling of the ears thing sometimes. And and I've probably mentioned this before, but growing up, I always thought it meant you just tell people what they want to hear. And that means you tell them that sin isn't bad and like blah, blah, blah. But honestly, telling people what they hear sometimes is being a super hellfire and brimstone preacher. Sometimes that's the tickling of the ears that people want want. They want everybody else to be condemned and for them to feel great about how, you know, sinners have been bashed over the head in a sermon. So it doesn't always mean, you know, you're preaching warm fuzzies. It's not always like, okay, sin isn't bad and you can do whatever you want. Sometimes people want to hear the opposite of that. People want their own version of the truth and their own worldview and their own bias to be confirmed in messages sometimes. So all that to say, 
that someone being a really great speaker and able to make you just wowed by their speaking ability and even their knowledge of scripture, that doesn't make them a spiritually healthy person. It doesn't make them somebody who is necessarily qualified for ministry. If someone is qualified for ministry and they have that good for them, you know, if they have the ability to just really communicate God's word in a way that makes sense to people and that, that, opens people's eyes like that's fantastic. However, we tend to ignore the actual qualifications for a pastor and we just look at things like charisma, dynamic speaking, friendliness, you know, somebody who like jokes around and makes everybody feel great when they see them on Sunday morning. We look at those things and think, what a great pastor, what a great person. And the unfortunate truth is that none of those things are actually fruits of the spirit. And none of those things are actually qualifications for ministry. They're not. And if you look at the qualifications for ministry, they're not that fancy, you know, but they're very specific. And so what this brought up for me was an experience that I had working in a church. And I've brought this up on the podcast before, but this is a very significant experience in my life. When it comes to some of the big things that have happened in my life that have caused me to want to speak out about abuse, um, yes, the sexual abuse I experienced as a child is one of those things. But this experience of spiritual abuse that I had and that I watched other people go through when I worked for a church is something that has really shaped um, my view of abuse in the evangelical church and that has shaped my view of a lot of what we're doing wrong in the evangelical church. So I'm going to read you what I posted on Facebook. Um, I, I reposted the religion and politics article with Caitlin Beatty and her quote about Carl Lentz. And this is what I added. Something every Christian needs to be taught is that charisma, dynamic speaking, and friendliness on Sunday morning are not fruits of the Spirit. In fact, those things have literally nothing to do with spiritual health, but millions of people are drawn in and fooled by them every day. The worst job I ever had was working for a pastor who absolutely killed it on stage every Sunday, but was a spiritually, emotionally, and financially abusive narcissist behind the church office doors. One day, after he fabricated a lie so he could berate me until I was weeping and shaking in his office while he sneered at me as though he was getting some kind of sick pleasure out of it, I decided I'd rather live under a bridge and go bankrupt than work in that hell for another second. I quit with zero prospects and only enough money to pay my bills one time before I was completely broke. He looked me in the eye and told me someday I'd look back and realize I was making a big deal out of nothing. Well, all these years later, I am only more convinced that his treatment of me and others was abuse and that quitting is the best decision I've ever made. Not only because I'm making an actual living wage now, but somehow stressed out non-church-going attorneys managed to treat me with respect rather than as an indentured servant. Oh, the humanity associated with having an HR department to answer to. Abusers in church authority are a huge problem in evangelical Christianity, and so many people have no idea how to spot them, especially when they're gifted speakers. Okay, so that's what I said, and I was talking about my experience, obviously, working for a pastor the very last time I will ever do that in my entire life. Like, one thing that that experience taught me, it was around 18 months of my life, literally the worst job I've ever had, and I've had jobs cleaning toilets, okay? So I just want to tell you that cleaning toilets for minimum wage was like heaven, literal heaven on earth compared to this job I had working for this pastor for 18 months. And the reason was not because the church was bad, 
not because my coworkers that weren't the pastor were hard to get along with or anything like that. No, it was because I was working for someone who was very spiritually abusive and narcissistic. And by the time I left, I literally felt like what I assume battered spouses feel like. And there was this just huge fear associated with going to church. And I hate admitting that because I consider myself a strong person, but that constant fear of like, if you were spanked as a child, you might know what I'm talking about. I was spanked as a child and not going to get into my feelings on spankings or anything like that. But if you did something wrong and you knew that a spanking could possibly be one of the punishments, it like altered the the way that you thought about the rest of the day or even the rest of your life. It's just like that fear of, oh no, I'm going to get a spanking. Oh no, am I in trouble? I'm going to get a spanking. Like I hate saying that now. It makes it sound like I had the worst, like most abusive parents on the planet. I did not. But they did believe in spanking because that's what the Baptist church taught. And so, yeah, we got spanked. And it was this constant fear of getting in trouble. And I want to say that that trauma follows you around later in life because you have that constant like fear, um, not in every situation, but in random situations where it's like I'm, you have that feeling again of like a little kid about to be spanked. Well, that's how I constantly felt working for this church. And, and that's not a strong enough way of putting it, I don't think, because it was worse than like this fear of, oh, no, I'm in trouble. It was just a constant stress and pressure of like, keep the angry person happy, keep the abuser happy so that he doesn't explode and so that I don't suffer the consequences. And that's how it was. It was really a, a terrible, terrible experience. So a family member saw the post and was asking me about, you know, what had happened. And so I just kind of went into my experience at this church and was explaining like what had happened, what I went through, how I felt and what had happened in this conversation I had with this pastor that I had talked about on Facebook. And I will say this is the first time that I ever really directly posted anything about my experience at this church. And I had that same fear. I actually was shaking a little bit after I posted it, thinking he follows me on Facebook. So does his family. Like, people are going to read this and know who I'm talking about. Not everyone, but certain people, because they know that I worked for this pastor and worked in this church. And so it might create an issue. And I started thinking, okay, legally, did I say anything that I could get in trouble for? Literally, I'm thinking like Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, like, am I going to be taken to court for defamation? And honestly, the reason some of those fears were there is because I have seen the vindictiveness of this pastor. I've looked him in the eye while he's being vindictive and basically trying to keep everyone loyal to him and to not ever step out of line and do anything that might make him look bad. And so there was fear associated with posting this. And again, I kind of feel like a, a, a battered spouse in a sense, like you just have that feeling of I have to keep the bad person happy. I have to keep everything calm. I have to monitor all of my behavior so that I don't step out of line and make this person abuse me. And I mean, it may sound extreme, but all I can say is that's the situation that I was in when I worked for this church. So um, I'm telling the family member about what happened and how this pastor would essentially lie to me to make anything I had done that he thought was suspect. And basically it was all if he suspected anyone was being disloyal to him, that was when he really got furious and would just like march around in anger and you would just be afraid like you'd have to walk on eggshells knowing that he was upset and then you'd be like okay what did I do I've got to figure out what I've done that makes this pastor think I'm being disloyal and that's just a classic narcissistic trait 
they demand loyalty from everyone and they harp on loyalty. And if they think that you've stepped out of line at all in any way that could be construed as possibly being disloyal to them, you have committed a cardinal sin and you're going to be punished. And that was the fear like, okay, what's my punishment going to be? And so on this particular instance, this pastor had suspected I was being disloyal literally because he didn't like a look he saw on my face completely out of context in any case. Not going to get into it on today's podcast, but he needed to have a better reason, I guess, to be mad at me and to excuse his behavior toward me when he got mad at me. And I guess looking like I wasn't in a great mood when I walked into church one Sunday wasn't a good enough reason to be able to scream and yell at me and abuse me, essentially. So he needed to fortify his reasons. And the way that he did that was by making up this big lie. He literally lied to my face about something. And I accidentally found out later that he had lied to my face, like a big lie. And and I'm sorry, but when you're a pastor of a church and you're a spiritual leader and you just make up a huge lie that there's no way it was an accident, there's no way that you, you know, misunderstood something. It was literally just a flat out huge lie. And when I found out that this pastor had lied to me, I started asking questions um, very innocently, nonchalantly. I wasn't like, oh, let's go, you know, trash this dude up one side and down the other. But I went and asked the people who could verify whether he was lying or not. And I talked to every single person and every single person confirmed that I had just been told a big fat lie by my spiritual leader, pastor and boss so that he could yell at me until I was shaking and crying in his office. And I just remember having trouble breathing. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe because I was so like, this should not happen. You know what I mean? Like when you are working for a pastor, working for anybody on earth, but especially someone who's supposed to be your spiritual leader, there should be no instance where you are berated to the point and gaslit to the point where you are shaking And crying to the point where you feel like you can't breathe and like literally begging God to help you. And that was me in that office. So yeah, when I say that I suffered spiritual abuse, I'm I'm telling you the truth. It wasn't like some little thing. And this wasn't the only instance. It was just the instance that made me know you got to get the bleep out of here and have nothing to do with this person for the remainder of your life because this is a toxic, horrible environment. Um, The anxiety that I lived under working for that pastor was just awful. And I wasn't the only one, but I'm, I'm speaking to my experience. In any case, as I'm telling one of my family members this, they asked what happened and I was telling them. Um, another family member from across the room said, hey, I guess they had just been overhearing. They're, they're like, hey, isn't this something that happened like a really long time ago? And I was like, yeah, it happened a long time ago, but they're asking why it happened. And I still speak out about it because this is one of my experiences with church abuse. And one of the experiences that taught me that just because a person is a dynamic speaker and can be super friendly and jovial and you know, super likable on a Sunday morning does not mean they are qualified to be in pastoral ministry. It does not mean that they are even followers of Christ. It doesn't. And I'm not going to say like, I can look into somebody's heart and know like that you're not a follower of Christ. I will say though, that when you're abusing people and you can't manage to even repent 
or ask them forgiveness for what you've done to them, you know, I question, like I, I question that. But I knew where this was going when this person asked me, didn't this happen a long time ago? Like I could sense it coming because I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and I speak out about sexual abuse in the church. And this is the number one thing that I think that we face on a regular basis is people accusing us of being unforgiving and not letting go of the past, right? We all experienced that. And sure enough, it came next. The next comment out of this person's mouth was, wow, it really sounds like you need to forgive this pastor. (laughs) And... Oh my goodness. Like, yes, my blood pressure immediately went up because uh, you deal with this as a survivor of sexual abuse. You deal with when you speak the truth that people accuse you of being unforgiving. When you speak the truth and you speak out about abuse that has happened to you, people accuse you of living in the past, not forgiving and moving on, not forgiving as the Lord forgives and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's basically... It's not, I don't want to call it Darvo necessarily because the deny and attack thing isn't necessarily happening. Maybe the attack, if you consider that they're reversing victim and offender. And so that's the part of the Darvo. It's more like Arvo that you're getting because no one's denying that it happened, but you are being attacked by being turned into the perpetrator in this instance. So I'm talking about some deep spiritual, emotional, psychological, and financial abuse that I had gone through in this church. And the response to that is, wow, it really sounds like you need to forgive, which takes all of the wickedness and sin that's been committed and and it places it on you. So now you're not the victim talking about your experience of being abused. Now you are the abuser because you are selfishly and sinfully withholding forgiveness from someone. And so, yes, this experience is something that it happens a lot. I was able, like, I I didn't become angry at this. Like, it angered me in a general sense because this is something that survivors experience all the time. Like, it's just something we go through. When you speak out about sexual abuse, and and I see it with pretty much every guest I've ever had on this podcast, when you speak out on sexual abuse, you find your voice, you begin speaking out. There is all this pushback from the church especially. It just is. All this pushback from the church talking about how you're unforgiving, you just need to forgive this person and you need to move on. So there's not an acknowledgement of the sin that was committed against a victim. There there just isn't, you know, or or if there is, it's like this obligatory, like, oh, okay, a wrong was done. However, because you're talking about it, that means you haven't forgiven. And because you haven't forgiven, that means you're the person who's in the wrong. And now this person who sexually assaulted you when you were like, you know, a small child, they're the victim here. And it's just so ridiculous. It is completely and utterly ridiculous that this is something that we continue to experience as survivors of sexual abuse, that we have to go through this and and listen to this from people. It's ridiculous that we're already suffering from the effects of sexual abuse in our lives. And then when we begin speaking out and finding our voice, it's like instead of really getting help, which we do get, you know, there are a lot of people who are survivors themselves or advocates and, and they're great help. You know, there are podcasts we can tune into and, and hear somebody, you know, affirm that what we're going through is is not something that makes us crazy or that makes us unforgiving. You know, there is that. But on the flip side of that, there are so many people in the church who are simultaneously just telling us we need to forgive and move on. You know, you need to move on. You need to forgive. You know, the fact that you're still talking about this, just like what was said to me by a family member, didn't this happen a long time ago? Wow, it sounds like you really need to forgive this guy. And, you know, my response to that is, well, perhaps that's true. I'm not, listen, 
in this instance, in this instance, I'm not going to deny that there may need to be some inner healing for me uh, because this is a person who really, really triggers me and I can get very heated discussing some of the things that happened. Now, does that mean that I'm just an unforgiving, you know, horrible person who wants to be bitter and bash someone? No, because on the flip side of that, I experienced spiritual abuse by a man who I also watched spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and financially abuse other people. And he is still in pastoral ministry and he has never repented of these things. And repentance for this man would involve him coming to me and asking for my forgiveness because of the things that he did to me. But when I confronted him, which is what scripture says to do, if, if someone has offended you, go to them. I confronted him when I quit. I was like, I'm giving you my two weeks notice. You have lied to me multiple times. And I mean, that was the thing that was really the straw that broke the camel's back was the lying so that he could abuse. But I didn't really focus on all of my grievances and all of the abuse I had experienced at his hands. And it was just that final straw that I really um, focused on because it was the third time he had lied to me. And it was a big lie that he just literally just made up a huge lie so that he would have something to be mad at me about that wasn't even real so that he could yell at me. Like it just, that to me, when you're a spiritual leader, you're my pastor. Like you may be my boss, but you're also my pastor. You're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you lying? And why are you lying so you can be vindictive and mean? Like that, none of that is the fruit of the spirit. Absolutely not any of it. And the thing that happened was literally, I did not, when I talk about this, I'm thinking people are probably going to think I was like pilfering church funds or something. No, I wasn't. He just suspected I was unhappy with his abuse of me. That's literally why I got in trouble with his pastor, because he suspected that I was being disloyal. He suspected that I was seeing through him, which I definitely was, because I saw him as an abuser when my eyes were finally opened and I realized this is not just me. This can't just be like, there's not anything. It's not like, not saying there's never anything wrong with me, but to live in fear of your employer when he's also your pastor, to have to walk on eggshells and deal with being berated constantly, with being treated as though you're a slave and that your time isn't your own and you're going to upset the big bad boss and get a scolding in the principal's office and then be berated in front of other people. Like just, I knew at that point, my eyes were opened. This is abuse. And I didn't know very much about abuse back in the day. I wasn't even acknowledging the fact that I had been sexually abused at this time. I was living in a very dark, like, I don't know anything about abuse era of my life, okay? So it wasn't like I was looking out for the abuse. It just was very clearly happening to me. And even as a person who didn't know anything about abuse, I recognized that I was not being treated the way a human being should be treated, but especially not the way that a person should be treated by their pastor, no matter how annoyed or mad he got about something or no matter what kind of frown was on my face, you know, at 8 a.m. on a Sunday when I'm rushing in late and being attacked at the church door, like nobody should treat another human being that way, but especially someone's pastor shouldn't. So it finally just dawned on me, hey, this is not okay. Like I am living in a nightmare here and I have to get out. And so I made that decision to quit. And when I say zero, I had enough money to pay my bills once. That was all the money I had in the world didn't have a savings other than enough to pay my bills once. 
And then I was not going to have any money, was not going to be able to pay any of my bills, including a car payment and insurance and, and all that kind of stuff that you need. But I quit with zero prospects because I knew that being homeless and bankrupt would feel better than continuing to work in that abusive environment. So that should say a lot. In any case, to the point the person made about, oh, it sounds like you need to forgive. Yeah, I have strong feelings about this. I don't believe that I have condemned this person by my thoughts or feelings or that I'm withholding forgiveness just to be like, you know, some terrible person who, well, I'm never going to forgive you because I'm mad. No, it's a situation that's more like, hey, this was abuse that I experienced. I confronted this pastor and he did not repent. I confronted him and he did not acknowledge that he had lied to me, even though there were probably like five or six witnesses that could corroborate and did corroborate with me that what he said was not true. And so I had all those, you know, witnesses. And his biggest thing was, you have been talking about me behind my back. Like that was all he was concerned with. Because again, narcissism, it's this demand for loyalty. Nobody can talk about you because You got to keep everybody thinking you're this amazing person and this persona that you've built up. Everybody has to believe that you're awesome. And if they don't, you know, your world is going to end or whatever. So when confronted and I literally said, hey, you told me this. And based on the statements of these witnesses, what you told me was a complete lie. It just wasn't true. Uh, and that's not the first time you lied to me. And then I brought up other lies that that I had caught him in. And it was not acknowledged. In that conversation, it was just, well, you know, this was not my intention at all for you to quit. And, you know, we hate to lose you. You've been a great person. Like, it was just there was no acknowledgement. And I probably should have pushed harder and been like, hey, this is me coming to you from like, as scripture says, because you have wronged me. And I'm yes, I'm giving my two weeks notice, but I also would like for you to respond to the fact that I just said, I know that this whole thing that you told me was a lie. Um, he just never responded to it. There was no repentance. And, and in fact, he doubled down and was like, no, this was never my intention, you know, for you to get upset and leave. And, you know, I think someday you're going to look back on this and you're going to realize this really isn't a big deal. You know, I think sometimes we think things are a big deal. And then later on in life, we look back, well, this is me like 10 years later, 11 years later, looking back and saying, no, I'm more convinced now, knowing what I know about abuse, uh, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, whatever kind of abuse, knowing what I know now about abuse, I am not looking back and thinking, oh, that wasn't a big deal. Man, I quit that job with nowhere to go and no money and no prospects for employment. And it was really dumb because, man, that pastor lying to me and, you know, spiritually and emotionally and psychologically abusing me for all that time was really not a big deal. Like, no, I've never looked back and thought that. If anything, I am more convinced now that what I experienced was abuse than I was at the time. Because, again, at the time, I knew something was horribly wrong. I knew something was horribly wrong. And I knew that I couldn't handle the psychological stress of being in that situation any longer. But I didn't have a name for what was happening to me and what I was watching happen to other people because I didn't know anything about abuse at the time. And so that was my point with this article that I shared was that we are so blinded by charisma. We're blinded by a person's magnetic personality. We're blinded by their ability to entertain us when they speak. And that's really what it boils down to. Man, 
if you're never bored during a sermon, you're being entertained by someone who's a gifted speaker. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that somebody being a gifted speaker, you know, that you should look for somebody who's just the worst speaker you've ever heard. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you're just super enjoying an entire sermon that you hear and everything is like the greatest thing you've ever heard and you leave just in this great mood and you can't wait to hear this person speak every week, then that's charisma. That's dynamic speaking. That's someone who's gifted in the area of speaking. That does not translate to this person being a good, moral, spiritual, or Christian person. It just doesn't. Like that doesn't, that's not to say that if someone is a dynamic speaker, they can't be a good Christian. That's not where I'm going with this. It's just saying that we are so blinded by this as Christians. We are so blinded by this ability. Like I have a friend whose daughter was like, man, I want to go to Texas. I, I really want to go to Texas. I, I just want to go to this church. And I was like, why? Oh man, that guy's such a great speaker. I just, I have to go to this church. I'm like, you're going to plan a whole vacation so you can go to a church to hear a guy preach, but you can just watch him online. Like that to me is kind of like what I'm talking about here. Someone is such a dynamic speaker that somebody's going to give up their vacation days and all their money to travel to this church across the country so they can hear this person speak. And maybe that person is the greatest pastor in the history of pastors. And maybe they are so on point in their spirituality and they don't abuse anyone and they're great. Fantastic. Because charisma, again, doesn't make someone an abuser. But many abusers have charisma. They have that magneticism that draws people right to them. And the people that just experience them on a Sunday morning, the people that just experience them in sermons or when they're getting that high five and the pastor's like, hey, man, how you doing? And tells like a little joke because that's the only interaction they ever have with them. People are using those experiences and judging that person's spirituality. And all I'm saying is, you cannot do that. So I got that pushback. And I mean, I pushed back myself because I feel like I can just be open and say what I want. And I'm like, you know what? I bet that that people, when Jesus was walking around calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, were his disciples like, oh, Jesus, hmm. It sounds like you really need to forgive these Pharisees. Like, man, it sounds like you're just, you're holding on to this this bitterness. You got this root of bitterness and it needs to just be dug out. You got to forgive these guys, man. I, I mean, that's not really Christ-like. You talking about these Pharisees being a brood of vipers. I mean, even if they did something wrong, you know, it just sounds like you need to forgive them. Like, seriously, if, if this reasoning had been around back in the day, like, and maybe it was at some point, but it, like in the Bible, like it would be written way differently. The disciples would literally have been reprimanding Jesus for calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, for calling them whitewashed tombs, you know, for saying, oh, like, well, Jesus, you're saying really mean things about these poor Pharisees. And like, uh, that's not a good look. You're supposed to be a Christian and you're supposed to forgive and let the Pharisees be in your church. That's what we do. That's what we do to people who speak out about abuse. We tell them that they are the offender. So the person who has been victimized, who finds a voice and who speaks out is suddenly not the victim. They are the offender. And I honestly think that this is just something that happens automatically for a lot of folks. They've been taught that, oh, if you don't forgive, your father in heaven won't forgive you. Well, Jimmy Hinton brought up something interesting on a recent podcast from the book of John, which is the scripture where Jesus said, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Like that's what he's telling his disciples. If you forgive somebody's sins, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from them, I'll withhold it. 
So when everyone's like, oh, it sounds like you really need to forgive. It sounds like you're just holding on to bitterness. And there's there's no responsibility placed on the person who's committed the offense. There's no, like their wrongdoing is suddenly erased because you are now the offender. You are the withholder of forgiveness. It is a, it is weaponized forgiveness. It's something that we talk about. I mean, I will say um, Jimmy and Clara Hinton talked about it on a recent podcast about how people lost their minds. They, they have this speaking out on sex abuse podcast in case, you know, you don't listen to their podcast and you want to, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. But in a recent podcast where they talked about the fact that abusers of children, sexual abusers of children, predators should not be allowed to be in church services. They got this massive pushback. Like people lost their ever loving minds telling them how they're unforgiving and they're trying to play God and yada, yada, yada. And it's just insane to me. It's like people have read little snippets of their Bible, but not all of them. People cannot handle when you speak the truth about an abuser. I don't know if it's just that it makes them uncomfortable, but it just seems to be this automatic reaction, like something a family member said to me, like what I said. Oh, didn't this happen a long time ago? You know, it sounds like you need to forgive him. Like, that's your takeaway. That's your takeaway from this supposed man of God abusing me and other people for a long time and not repenting for it and then just moving on to a new church where he's just celebrated and worshiped the world over. Like, that's your big takeaway. Like, this person abused me and I'm speaking out about it. And that means that I'm the offender because I'm not forgiving enough. Like, that's just insane to me. But it's what happens to so many of us. And I think that it's partly just an automatic thing. We're uncomfortable with confronting sin. We're uncomfortable with, I guess, the cognitive dissonance associated with the fact that a person can be both this great speaker and purport to be this great Christian and can also be abusing people behind the scenes. It makes us so uncomfortable. The cognitive dissonance is so uncomfortable that we need to grasp at anything that's going to make our brain feel better. And the thing our brain reaches for first is, oh, well, you're just not forgiving. And, and if you just forgive, then this whole problem goes away. But no, it doesn't. Because first of all, you don't know in my heart if I've forgiven this pastor for what he did to me. But I, I can tell you this. He never repented because repentance would have needed to be public at least to me and the other people who he offended. And, and he never did. It was never like, I'm sorry I lied to you. I'm sorry I mistreated you. I was wrong to do this or that. Nothing. There was absolutely nothing except a doubling down on this isn't a big deal and, you know, you think you caught me in something, but it really doesn't matter because I'm still the big boss and you're a nobody and we'll just hire somebody to take over your job at the end. Like, that's basically how it was. So that little experience, it might seem small to you, but it did. It brought up a lot for me. And it, it definitely brought up that the, the reminder, I guess, that many times people who speak out about abuse are viewed as the offenders. Like you're not viewed as a victim. You're viewed as someone who is bitter and unforgiving and you're, you're withholding forgiveness from someone who deeply deserves it because God would give it to them. And we're ignoring the scriptures that tell us differently. And we're just cherry picking the verses that kind of line up with what we think. Um, we need to look at the whole counsel of scripture when it comes to forgiveness. And if we were just supposed to forgive everybody this point point blank. Everybody's forgiven. Nobody's wrong. Well, why does the evangelical church believe in hell then? Because God clearly does not offer unconditional forgiveness 
if people who don't accept him and repent of their sins are going to burn in hell. I'm just saying that's a teaching in evangelical Christianity. So if you believe that God sends people to hell for eternity for not repenting of their sins and accepting his free gift of salvation, if you believe that, then you have to believe that God does not forgive unconditionally because he doesn't. The Bible never says that his forgiveness is unconditional. It's repent. And if people do not repent, then they don't receive that forgiveness. It's just that's the bottom line if you want to get super like scripturally technical about it. So it was just a reminder to me of the battle that we face as survivors of sexual abuse it's not a glamorous thing. It's people, you would think, oh, I want to help kids not be sexually abused. Well, what a great, what a great thing that you don't want kids to be abused. But the nanosecond that any of the ways you go about that makes somebody uncomfortable, you are suddenly an offender who is unforgiving and you need to forgive. And you withholding forgiveness from an abuser makes you the offender and them the victim. It's, Again, it's like Arvo, (laughs) part of Darvo, and it's something we all experience. Um, But I was happy that I got to just express my opinion on that to my family member who thought I needed to forgive. And I just reminded them, listen, you know, Jesus didn't say, oh, let's forgive the Pharisees for being a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. No, he called them out. And scripture tells us to publicly call out people who are elders who are leaders in the church who sin. We're supposed to call them out um, in the NIV. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reproof before everyone so that others may take warning. Reproof them before everyone. It's not like a go and hide and, you know, just whisper to them between yourselves so that you don't make anybody look bad. You know, don't put up that Facebook post. No, they're to be publicly reprimanded in front of the whole church. It serves as a strong warning to others. That's what scripture tells us. So in this brand new year, 2023, unless you're listening to this like three years from now, which is always a possibility, but in this brand new year, I have resolved to keep speaking out on sexual abuse because as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, just chipping away at it, sometimes it feels like you're not making a big impact and a big dent, but we're chipping away. And I think that continuing to speak out is so important because there's so much misinformation out there about abuse and about how Christians should respond to abuse. And it's detrimental to survivors of sexual abuse, and it's detrimental to the children out there who we are placing in harm's way because of our ignorance about how forgiveness works, how abuse works, and God's view on the whole thing. We're ignorant of so many things in scripture and just in life in general that are putting children in danger. So I resolve in 2023 to keep speaking out. Sometimes you feel like you're beating the air. Sometimes it feels like it's completely pointless and that no one's ever going to listen. But I want to encourage you in this brand new year, if you want to speak out and and you want to use your voice to go ahead and do it and don't let the ignorance of other people and their lack of knowledge about abuse stop you because we have enough of those people, right? We have enough people who are like, oh, let's just be quiet and forgive and not say anything. And and that's, that's how I went 30 plus years without talking about the fact that I had been sexually abused. And if someone had encouraged me from the time I was a child, speak out about wrongdoing, you know, abuse is wrong. This is bad. This shouldn't have happened. Like if I had known any of those things as a child, I wonder 
how many people I could have prevented from being abused by the person who abused me. So let's keep speaking out. Let's make that a resolution or a goal in 2023 to keep doing this work. It's not easy. It is thankless so much of the time, but if it can help one person to have their eyes opened to how to protect children from sexual abuse, if it can prevent the sexual abuse of one person, or if it can aid in the healing of one person who's already been abused, then it is so, so worth it. And so I just wanted to encourage us with that today. Speaking out about abuse, speaking up about abuse is not a sin. It does not make you the offender and it does not make you unforgiving. It makes you a person who cares deeply for the innocent and for justice. And as Jimmy Hinton tells us in his podcast and reminds us, and as scripture tells us, the foundation of Jesus's throne is righteousness and justice. We can't ignore the evil that's going on in the world in the name of being forgiving because that's that's not scriptural. It's not Christ-like. And that's something that we need to keep harping on until the church begins to actually understand it. And that's what I've got for you today. I want to thank you as always for tuning in for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.